how do we take this idea of just-in-time information, which we get now, right? Like my phone, anywhere I can just like find the information. How do we start to shift that to, okay, I don't ever need to worry about my open tabs again. I don't need to worry about reading newsletters unless I want to. If I want a break from what I'm doing, I can go do that. But how do I just rest assured that in the moment, whatever it is I need, I can just have. Happy Friday and welcome to Not Boring Founders, the podcast where I talk to founders in the Not Boring portfolio and they tell us what the future is going to look like. We made it to the end of the week. It's Friday. That means for most of you, you're going to enjoy a nice spring weekend, maybe have a couple of drinks, hang out with friends, family. For me, the start of the weekend means the start of writing my Monday essay. And increasingly, Starting writing my Monday essay starts with a new product that I use called Recollect. We'll explain how it works throughout this conversation with Recollect's founder and CEO, Alice Albrecht. But the gist of it is, as I'm reading things across the internet, I save them down to Recollect or it can pull in notes from my Athens or Notion or Readwise, puts them all together, almost acts as my brain. And then when I'm coming up with a new idea, I just write a couple of sentences highlight those sentences and ask Recollect to go find me anything even kind of close to related to those things. It's surprisingly accurate and probably way better than you're expecting if you've tried other things that sound like they might be similar. So today with Alice, we'll go through how her decades-long career in both neuroscience and machine learning helped her build something that behaves a little bit more like the human brain behaves and what the world's going to look like in a future where we don't need to keep a million tabs open or feel like we need to read everything in the moment because it can be tracked and then recalled as needed. So for anybody out there who writes anything or who reads things on the internet, which I would imagine is just about all of you, this is going to be a really fun one. And speaking of really fun, what's more fun than trading crypto and NFTs? That's why I'm excited to reintroduce you to our sponsor for all of season two of Not Boring Founders. That's right. It's FTXUS. You might know FTXUS because of its founder, Sam Bankman fried the multi-multi-multi-billionaire sub-30-year-old who just gave away a Tesla to a pseudonymous account on Twitter this last week. If you haven't seen this, you should go look up SBF Tesla on Twitter. Or you might know FTX because it's the fastest company ever to reach a $32 billion valuation or for its world best crypto derivatives products, or because FTX is a tool trusted by professional crypto traders and institutions. But you might not know that now you can use FTX too in an app. The FTX app, which was born out of the company's acquisition of Blockfolio, is the most complete crypto app in the world, which allows users to buy crypto and NFTs with no fees. You can use a crypto debit card, track your entire crypto portfolio, and even get important news updates. It's an easy place to buy crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana with zero fees in a matter of minutes. The FTX app is cheaper than any other cryptocurrency exchange. There's no fixed minimum fee on transactions, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. This app was made to make crypto trading cheap and easy, and I got to say, I've been using it, and it's really, really good. So instead of listening to me talk about it, go try it for yourself. Just go to the App Store, download the FTX app, sign up, enter my code, not boring, all one word, and when you trade $10 of crypto, you get a free coin. Or you can just click the link in the show notes, and it'll do it all for you, fast and easy, like the app itself. 
With crypto bouncing back, the FTX app is a great way to get involved, and it's a great way to say thank you to FTX US for supporting conversations like this one with the CEO and founder of Recollect, Alice Albrecht. Alice, welcome to Not Boring Founders. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I think this is going to be a particularly fun question to ask you because this is a category that I've thought a lot about and you've thought about a hundred times more, which is what does the world look like in 10 years if you succeed wildly? Yeah, I love this question. And um, my answer will be, I guess, twofold. And maybe there's this sort of like big broad, like if we really succeed, then I think ultimately we have things that couldn't have existed before will exist. We're really focused on this augmenting human memory and creativity. So if we're wildly successful, I think what we do is we unlock this creative capacity for lots of people that don't have it right now or they have it and it's limited. So that piece is what I'm really excited about in sort of the next 10 years or so. The other piece of that answer though, is that if I told myself 10 years ago that the world would look this way, I wouldn't have believed it. And so the way I like to think about these longer time scales is we have information now and what are some of the things that we can see that are gonna enable whatever happens in 10 years. I think a lot about who gets to play in 10 years right? Like how do we help this augmentation to get more people out in the knowledge economy and to be doing things with their ideas and collaborating. And I think we're seeing this sort of explosion, you know, after everybody got onto the internet and we got the internet lots of places, we saw this explosion of information on the internet. So people are in this state right now where they've got tons and tons of information. I often think like, I remember as a little kid, I had this thought of like, what if I knew everything? Like, what if I could, what if that, it was just like something. And now we can, and that's kind of incredible to me. And I think we don't think of it that way, but literally I could know anything at any moment from my pocket. There was somebody on Twitter the other day who, who tweets things like this to get attention. So I'm not even going to say his name, but who tweeted something like, in 10 years, technology won't change your life at all, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. I like your optimistic take on this. Like when you say that 10 years ago, you couldn't have predicted right now, one, it's information in your pocket. Like, What are the other things right now that you love about the world that we're living in technology-wise? I love the information in your pocket. I think that to me is just so incredible. The other piece though is like space doesn't exist anymore. I've never met so many people and I've met, yeah, I've either met them online, like I've had a conversation with them or I've had access to them in some way, right? So you have this idea of we have globalization, sure, we have things are coming from different places. It's like now much easier to fly to another place quickly. At some point, maybe we'll have faster space travel, but all of that seems unnecessary. Like 10 years ago, if you told me that like I could very easily find somebody, first of all, that was working on a similar idea or something I'm interested in, um, so easily, I wouldn't have believed you. Like you had these online communities, but like it really wasn't that obvious to find people. But then if I could like interact with them without interacting with them too. Like there's these ways in which like, it's not about like getting better Skype either. So I don't know, that whole thing fascinates me. Second question is what's, what does Recollect do today? Yeah, so right now we're really focused on helping people be more creative. So what we're doing is we are handing them their, like you can think of them as thought building blocks in the moment of creation. So we have all of this information that people have read or notes they've taken as they're trying to do something with that information, which I think is actually the next step after we've all gotten all this knowledge. Um, 
we bring the things that are connected specifically for them back to them in that moment. And I'm going to break the the fourth wall here. I asked you that question, but I've also used the the product <laughs> and it's really cool. I'm always worried when there's one kind of a creativity tool and two, something that has, you know, machine learning AI yeah. as part of the promise that it's going to be like, okay, but not great. The first time that I like typed, even on the call with you, but then after when I was playing with it, when I typed kind of the, those, a couple of sentences, highlight it and have it bring up notes, it is like wild that it brings up really like, I think one time out of maybe 20 that I've tried, it was a little bit off. The rest of the times it was like, oh, wow, that's like, I forgot about that article, but that's exactly the one that, that I would have chosen here. It's yeah. really good. How, how do you do that? I guess now is probably a good time for your background, but what's going into that? I will not disclose exactly how, obviously, but so my background originally was in cognitive neuroscience. So I went and got a PhD and did a postdoc. And so I've always been really interested in this idea of, um, you know, human minds, how do we learn more about them, especially in this area of sort of attention and learning and memory. So there's this strong academic background. And then I left all of that and got into tech. And so I have been doing machine learning and data things kind of as that grew up. So really, I think it's been 10 years now, speaking of 10 years ago, um, that I've been doing that work. So I've seen all of the ways that we're able to now harness all of this data, right? We started collecting it and now we're starting to do things with it. And so Recollect is really powered by a combination of those two things. We have lots of machine learning in the background that's connecting these things, but also we're taking this very human-centric approach and that I'm thinking about how does your mind actually work, Becky? Like, how do you remember things? How would you want to like recall those things in another setting? Can I make the machine and the machine learning models do that for me? And we're at a place which is really fun where we can now. And I mean, not to talk smack on any competitors or anything, but like, and I wouldn't even call them a competitor, but you know, like this was kind of the promise of something like, you know, a roam for me was like, as long as I'm just diligent about backlinking and then like all of my thoughts will kind of come back to me in this like really cool networked way. And frankly, like it just didn't do anything <laughs> for me. And it felt like, you know, I, I didn't know how to use it, right? Well, this just feels organic. Like I'm just browsing the yeah. internet and then I come back and I'm like, oh, I have an idea. My memory is terrible. I read a ton and my memory is terrible. And that's actually one of the reasons I started writing. And so this is really cool yeah. that I can come back and kind of get close in the thing that I remember. Yeah. And then Recollect will just find it for me. Yeah. And I think that is the goal of so many tools. You can go back to, you know, Van Bush or, you know, like so many people even I think it was like 680 AD, right? Like the first person tried to make a memory machine and they wanted to store these symbols and be able to put something in and get the thing back, uh, their memory, right? They wanted to, like, there's this idea that we have as humans where we know we're really bad at remembering things and we want to create a tool to help us get there. But other tools I think are kind of not awesome. Definitely not naming any names. Don't want to talk badly about other companies. I think they're building, you know, interesting things, but in my mind, they're all starting with these physical models. They're saying, okay, how do we replicate a filing cabinet really well? Like, how do we make this look and feel like a really awesome filing cabinet? And then there's always this promise of, and then we'll connect things. And I think where we're at right now is they're having people connect things. And these like, you know, you could see huge graphs or you could see ways that people are trying desperately to like link and leave breadcrumbs for themselves, their future selves and say, oh, if I just tag this correctly, then like, I'll be able to find it. And it never works because your mind is always changing, right? Like you're always learning, you're always changing. And so those tags don't work at all. We don't tag things in our mind. So our approach is so much based in 
from what we know, how does your mind actually work? And when I read something, I don't write a tag on it. I don't do anything with it. I just kind of absorb it. And I also start to make connections between things. So as I read, I'm like, oh, I read a lot. Uh, and so like I have like four or five books and articles and things going at once, not in the same moment. But it's I'm doing two books to... right now. And it is it is like too much for me to, I'm like, I'm very a book monogamist for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, even as you're reading the book, though, the things you read temporarily, like over time, will come back, right? So you'll read something and it's a new idea in the book, but automatically your mind kind of says, oh, I know other things about this. And I feel like people have this impulse to say, like, how do I put these two things together? Like, how do I start to take this new information and store it in a sense, in a way that I can sort with this other stuff, which is the promise of networking all these wires together and drawing these huge diagrams. But that takes a lot of time and people are terrible at it and they give up and they wander off. Recollect is really all about like, can we do that for you reasonably well? And then does that help spark your creativity too? So sometimes we're not a hundred percent accurate. Like you said, like a few times the answers are like a little bit odd, but some of that's on purpose. Cause we're saying, okay, what about those two books that you read around the same time? Were those related? That makes sense. Cause if, if it's just the obvious connections that a computer could have picked up without actually knowing how I think, then it's interesting, but not like as maximally powerful as possible, which is like the model learning that my brain actually connects these really weird things. And that's one of the things that makes my brain unique. I think it's twofold. And I think that's, that's sort of why it feels so much more natural too. It's like, you're, we're not asking you to do anything, but we're bringing it back to you. And we're saying, huh, what about this? So I, I like this decades long theme that we've just kind of stumbled in throughout the podcast here. What's happened in the past decades in machine learning since you joined the field? It feels like it's just gotten way better in the past couple oh, of years. Yeah, it's unbelievably different. When I started in machine learning, I was actually still you know, practicing neuroscience. So I was looking at people's brain activity and using things called support vector machines to look at patterns and say, oh, does this pattern look like this other pattern of brain activity? And that was huge for the field at the time. And this is like, you know, I'm talking about 2010 or so, right? Support vector machines and these sort of like basic pattern matching were kind of where we were at. And there's lots of ways that's changed. And so now machine learning is pretty much, I think in every product you have, we have smart toothbrushes and I mean, everything is smart. And all of that is prediction engines. They're all trying to predict something and they're trying to predict what you want to buy next or what you want to read next, or they're trying to predict, you know, where your car might go. I think the... Some of the big changes I've seen are some of the stuff really started in the computer vision space, which makes sense. And there's a lot of crossover between computer science and neuroscience. So we know a lot about vision. We know less about language, yep. a lot less. I mean, relatively, right? So we have psycholinguistics, you have people studying language. And I remember like drawing out these huge language trees when I was in grad school for my computational modeling class. And it was like, this is the worst field. I would never do this. Like, it seems so boring. But what's happened is like we've had a couple of big advancements, I think, in the machine learning space. And those have allowed us to do a lot more with natural language. And we also got way more data, I think, is the other thing. So much text online. So we have so much more to play with. We have so much more information and data about individuals. And we can personalize things to a degree. There's no way we could have 10 years ago or you know, even five years ago. We've seen advances in the algorithms, but also way more data and way more people trying to apply it places because they made this huge investment too, which is the other piece that people talk about less, which is like lots of companies bought huge amounts of data storage and they hired teams, 
folks like me to come in and say like, what magic can you do with all of this data? So people tried some really interesting stuff too. So I think we saw like the envelope get pushed more and more that way too. It feels like you know GPT-3 has gotten most of the kind of mainstream attention. What's something that people tried that's less well-known, but that you wish had worked out better? And like, what would that have done? I still think it will work out. Uh, I think it's just less, it's done less often. And that's just multimodal machine learning. So when we start to bring together, say, say it's a video and you have the audio of the person and you have the video of their facial features and their, like their movements and their affect. And you get things like the timing of their speech. So you get, you can kind of take all of these different streams and start to combine them. And I haven't seen that as much as I would have predicted because there, there's these applications of this stuff where you could say, I think you can predict whether people are depressed. And to do that, you do it so in such a better way if you look at the words they're using. So maybe they're using flat affect words or their face or their speech, how quickly or slowly they're speaking. I think it's interesting to me that less has caught on around that. Like, how do we start to bring in multiple data streams? Because it's all about a human, ultimately. So I still think there's a lot of possibility there. And I think that'll be a big opportunity going forward. I've written uh, uh, probably close to a million words on the internet. We can run them through Recollect. Like, what the output is that the user sees is me tagging stuff and you finding the thing that is most similar. What other things, like if you fed up million words of me through Recollect, like what other things could you tune the model to know about me? So something in what you just said is interesting too, because you said you've tagged them. I think we have a lot of your text actually in Recollect somewhere. So we have all of these, like we do a test all the time. I like to test things. So one thing I've been thinking about a lot is when I do my recall, I get things back from certain people and it's about what's related about what they wrote about. But you could also imagine a world in which I say, like, can I ask Packy a question, right? Packy has all of this text on the internet. Can I start to like pull out answers in a sense and not in maybe the like the exact words that you would use, but can we start to pull out themes around what you're talking about at least? Can we start to talk, start to think about that kind of generation I think is really interesting. We could also pull out things like your mood over time the kind of, like there's all of this stuff around sentiment, right? And I'm sure if we track like, you know, January, 2020 and then April, 2020, right? Like it's gonna be a different vibe, um, so to speak. So there's lots we can pull out there. And one thing I think as we get more and more time passing, speaking of, you know, let's talk about decades again. If you're on the internet for 10 more years, it would be so interesting. I think we could do this, start to pull out how your ideas changed over time. Right. So you have these core ideas that you're interested in. And what was what was your thinking around that? What was your inspiration around that? And how did that change? I think that would be really cool. And I guess that like kind of almost like longitudinal piece makes it more possible that put me in AI and I can live forever. And all the people who aren't <laughs> shit posting on Twitter every day are not going to be able to live eternally through AI. So I am, I think, keeping myself eternal eternal by, by <laughs> tweeting and writing all of the time. It's, I guess the other question that comes up is like, as you say that it one sounds so cool. And then on the other hand, it's like, all right, well, cool. In a year or two, we get to a spot where I just don't need to write anymore. And like anybody um, can just plug in a packy AI and write not boring. And then like, what, what do I, you know, what's, what's my thing there? Like, is, is that the way we go? Or do I just get like way more creative? Like, how, how do you see that split going? 
Yeah, we don't have this. I mean, we don't have a good Packy AI if we just took all that data, right? Because the wonderful thing about humans and the thing that machines, I think, will really never be able to do is the actual creativity. You still have to be consuming all this information. You still have to be really synthesizing your ideas ultimately. I think if we had, if say we took all of your text and we made this like packy AI and we're like, we'll just ask questions forever and it'll tell us all about it, you know, Web3, everything. We'll know everything all the time. That, that packy in a sense is frozen in time, right? So that is not a, a living packy anymore. So what you really need is your daily reading, right? Like, what are you interested in now? Where did, you, where did your mind go? Like, where did your curiosity go? And that is something we're never, ever, ever replicate. If you can figure out how to do the living breathing, which you have with the products, so there's the Chrome extension that mm-hmm. either I'll say like, you know, every time I read something on this website, make sure that yeah. you save it. Or I, I really like this article, save this one down. I want this to be kind of like part of my memory. So assuming that you can do that, you could also do like hybrid versions where it's like, all right, I really like the way that Packy writes maybe, but like, I want someone like way smarter. Like we want Bern Hobart or Ben Thompson, you know, like brain, but with Packy's like whatever style. And then I'm really in trouble if you combine kind of tracking me around the internet and then having like that brain applied to it. So something we're thinking about a lot is, so like for my recollect, there are certain people that I follow. You're one of them, right? Like I look at your tweets, I read your newsletter. I follow lots of people. And so I don't get a chance to get all the information though. Like I don't have time and you all should be very worried if I did to read everything that comes through on Twitter or in my newsletters or everything, right? So I miss really great things. And so when you start to combine, think about like, how do we combine all these great thinkers that are out there right now? And then how do I bring all that in? And how do I make gold out of it from my own thoughts, right? We're thinking about not only getting things that you have read, but maybe things that you reasonably would have read. And how could we bring those back in the time where creation is really important? There's obviously like all of the technology that you're building, but so much of how that works is still dictated by your creativity and like, like yeah. the different things that you are thinking about kind of feeding yeah. in and without your human creativity, that doesn't, this is getting very meta. I had a meeting recently, so I've been using Recollect for everything now, just to see like, how far can I push this thing? And so I had a meeting recently to talk about Recollect and the inspiration and sort of like thinking through like, what are we, what are we focused on? What are we thinking about? So I made all of that in, in Recollect. I made a board and I started bringing in all these things I'm reading and I started bringing in all of my notes and ideas around that. And so in this very real sense, this is a tool for me and I'm happy everybody else gets to have it, but I have all these ideas all the time and I, and I have to think about like, okay, and then it could do this and that and this and that. And all of that is generated from conversations and from reading and from thinking in my own notes. Um, but I am at a loss for finding them ever again. Like I, I will never, I have so many notebooks, um, like stacks of them. So it has been fun to think about how Recollect enables me to be more creative, to make Recollect better, to make other people more creative. Are you intentionally taking notes digitally where you would have written before? Or are there going to be ways that you can capture kind of your handwritten notes? Because you don't want to change too much the way that you actually think best, but you want to be able to capture it so you can recollect it. I, I have this remarkable. And so... I have lots of handwritten notes. And so I walk with a notebook and I make sure I can take a picture of those and get them in. Um, but yeah, I think one thing we're looking into is like, you know, can you just push your notes from another place that's digital? 
could you do better OCR and just be able to take pictures of those? I think it's a reasonable thing. Same with physical books. I have a ton of them. So I've been experimenting with lots of ways to get my stuff in that's not digital yet. We don't want to change those habits. I recently reread the the Tim Urban Neuralink piece, but it seems to me that you know, like there's all these things, the Neuralink seems like you just put it on and it's good and it tells you exactly what to do, but you actually need all these models that are actually useful feeding into a brain machine interface. This could be the dumbest question I've ever asked on, on the show, but like, how does something like a, a Recollect play into that, like a brain machine interface future? Do you think that that's like the ultimate end state for this is that like, I just think, and it's like, oh my God, everything that I've ever read is right here. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I actually started with the brain machine interface and working out like theoretically, at least how that would work. I have so many notebooks full of drawings and things. So I think ultimately, yes, I think what we're building and, and not just for the brain machine interface. And I personally don't want to build the hardware for it. But if you think about what I just said around, okay, we have all these different data streams that could come in and you could create something even better. We've got all this texture reading. We've got some of your behavior online. What if we were able to get a, a read on your attention? And this is something that's really uh, a core interest of mine is human attention. And we can. And I think that is something that people don't realize enough is that we can get some signals of your mood, your attention, and whether your mind is wandering and whether it's wandering internally. And so I think we're, we are really, you know, speaking of 10 years from now, we're not that far off from integrating something like Recollect. And the way we're building the models is very much with this in mind. How would we bring one more data source in and how would we interleave that and say, this is the thing that you, this paragraph was what you attended to most. Auto highlight that, that is more relevant to you in this moment. And here we've connected it to these other pieces of your memory. And then we have it on the ready when you're ready to do something with it. Or can we bring it back for you? Can we bring it back to help you shift your mindset to something that is in a better state? Because the other thing I think a lot about is like, how are we doing with all of this information? Not so great. <laughs> how do you think about sifting through just the, the fire hose using Recollect? There's just so much. There's so much. So I think what happened when I got my wish from a child, I think I did manifest this. Like I can know everything now. It's all ready for me. And it's not in a CD from Encyclopedia Britannica either. We didn't adapt for that whatsoever. So that fire hose is real. We're seeing the effects of it now. We're seeing like, you know, it, even if you don't sit on social media forever or you don't read a lot of really negative news articles, people feel generally overwhelmed and exhausted by all of this. So the way I think about it is how do we take this idea of just-in-time information, which we get now, right? Like my phone, anywhere I can just like find the information. How do we start to shift that to, okay, I don't ever need to worry about my open tabs again. I don't need to worry about reading newsletters unless I want to. If I want a break from what I'm doing, I can go do that. But how do I just rest assured that in the moment, whatever it is I need, I can just have. And it's, it's not the whole internet either. It's really the things that I have said I want in my space. So this overwhelm comes not from this like, I have access to everything. It's really, oh, I'm, I should actually be reading all this stuff. There is this panic people get around like, oh, I have so many open tabs. Like, what do I do? I'm never going to get to read them. So I say like, don't read them because they're not relevant right now. You're not working on this thing today. You're, you're doing something else. Just catch it and then we'll bring it back for you. So we're, we're really focused right now on thinking about how could we help with the consumption part of the cycle too. We built this thing to help you write and produce things with all this stuff you've read. How do we think about what happens when you're reading as well? I want this future to happen. The hard part with kind of, and I know this isn't like productivity, this is a creativity tool, but like, you know, productivity apps get people excited. Mm -hmm. 
get investors excited. And then something happens in between kind of like that initial excitement and like getting really, really big or kind of meeting their promise. You've studied this space a ton. What do you think happens in between and how are you building kind of around that or against that? So I think what happens for a lot of people is something new and novel will garner your, like going back to attention, um, you get excited about it. You're like, oh, this is so fun. I'm going to set it up. And a lot of people really love that process and the promise too, right? If you, if you couple this soothing methodical behavior of like setting up a whole thing and you're like, it's going to make my life amazing. And like, this is unlocked the future for me of productivity. Then it's a really promising. And then that really big promise does fall short because you as a human didn't change at all. Like maybe it kind of helped you change your habits. I still do a bullet journal after a few years. Like, that's great. That's the one thing I've ever stuck to. But I think there is this really big gap between, you know, in an ideal world, I would like sit down with my morning coffee and I would read all these newsletters diligently for two hours exactly. And then something would tell me to like go do something else. And I would just do that. And I can't sustain that. And so I think it's the sustaining piece of a behavior that is not natural. And that's, again, why we're so focused on how do we do this without you doing anything? The collecting the information, if you come back to this, you know, to this website, like that's in part because I don't want to have you think about, I have to hit this button again to collect this. Like, I want you to just know that it's happening. And so strategically, our hope is that the more this is seamless, the more this just fits in automatically with what you're doing, the less we have that barrier of, okay. I got to settle this stuff up. There's a big upfront cost. And then I've got to, oh no, I have to do something with all of it. I don't know what to do with it. Ah, okay, never mind. And they just sort of wander off. Is there a point at which, you know, you learn what I'm going to save and what I'm not going to save and just automatically do things or the privacy reasons that you don't just take everything? Like, why'd you make the decision to have, have me save certain things? So we originally started with an opt out strategy, which would have been, we save everything. And then you tell us if you don't want us to save it, right? If you like, we don't want your bank information. We don't want any private information. We really want to stay very clear of stuff that you don't want to have and recollect. And we personally, like I personally don't want to be responsible for storing. I think there's a possibility we go back to that uh, once people have enough trust. And so what's super important to me in building any product with any kind of data or ML is that people get a lot of transparency they, they develop trust. They, they understand what it is before they hand over their life to me. So we went with this opt-in strategy and we have a lot of controls so you can see exactly what we're collecting and stop it at any time. I think ultimately it'd be wonderful if people just really trust us and they should, <laughs> and then they don't have to do anything. And then it's completely hands off, which would be amazing. Who's recollect for like right now, this in-between period is really, is really fascinating to me because I can see that like 10 year huge vision and yeah. I can see for me what the product is like right now, but like, it feels like you just need to have enough customers over the next couple of years to hit a point where like kind of everybody's using this. And then we all just have this magical thing happening. How do yeah. you think about sequencing all of that? Like who's it for now? And then how do you, how do you sequence? This is really like the key product question in my mind. Like I can come up with solutions all day, but making sure that we sequence the people in the right order seems like a, it, I mean, it really is a huge deal. Right now we're really focused on people that are writing regularly. So that could be people like you who put out a newsletter, people that are writing for themselves regularly, we found is a really good initial audience too. So somebody who's already has this habit of doing something with their ideas on a regular basis. And so that's a great place to start. We have this middle space before we get to, you know, the one billion knowledge workers in the world. That middle space is really filled with 
right now, the next groups are researchers. They are investors, actually. They do a ton of consumption um, and trying to write memos and analysts and things like that. And we have people that are doing any kind of journalism. So they're writing for a different purpose. It's not sort of this, like, I write a newsletter, but maybe they're, you know, off and reporting on things really, like, very quickly, and maybe they're not even writing it. Then we've got people that are more in this, uh, I don't know what to call them. People use different words for this, but there's this, like, uh, maybe you have a better word for this, but, like, freelance economy, right? Like, they, they have a main thing. That main thing isn't writing yet but they are trying to develop a brand and they're trying to participate and build that up. And that is like a wonderful middle area for us as well. There's another not boring portfolio company called Polywork. Their whole thesis is that there are people who do a lot of different things. They have their main yep. job, they have their side thing that they're trying to kind of build a brand around. They might've gotten in the dictionary. Polyworkers is now a, a term. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. So I can freely use this term now. You can freely wonderful. use Polyworkers. It's in the dictionary. And then explain it every time to make sure that people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'm going to take us back as our last question here, other than where people can find you and all of that, to the 10-year thing again, which is I ask kind of generally what it looks like. What does like your day look like or my day look like in a decade from now? And you can have it be purely recollect focus or just what you think the whole world looks like with recollect as a part of it. But like, what does a day look like? I have my aspirational hope and I'm not sure that it'll pan out, but I think for me, a day looks much less like you're fixed to a space. Like I'm sitting at a computer today, right? I think we get more and more into this world in which we're doing sort of like this poly work, right? Where we're doing things and work and life. I like work-life balance. I think it's a great thing. I, I think everybody should have it, but we're always thinking we're always kind of mulling things over. If you love what you're doing, especially, which I think is where we get to in 10 years also, is we have a lot more of this automation happening. We have a lot less of the work people don't enjoy doing. We have a lot more of this space to be more creative and to do things that we actually enjoy. And in that space, I think the lines blur more. And so I think we'll be in a space where we have some sort of AR wearable, something where we're accessing things without the screens. These rectangles are killing me. The fact that things <laughs> are not in 3D space, I can't. I, this it's is all lost. This is my pro metaverse argument is that this is our metaverse right now. And it's like the shittiest 2D <laughs> rectangle version of it. If we're going to be on screens all the time, like make them immersive and, and yeah. Right. Agreed. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I think we will get there. In fits and starts, we'll get there. I think that we need to have a real reality too, right? So I think, you know, there needs to be a time and space where we feel comfortable saying like, okay, I don't want to be in any way connected to anything, but right now in, in the world, in nature. But I think a lot of the rest of the time we have this world in which we're connected in a way that is less obtrusive. So less of this, like, you know, you know, I'm looking at my phone, I'm not looking at you, we're not talking. And it becomes a little bit more natural in that sense. And then I think that for Recollect, it's really how do you become more of this extended mind and less of this separation and not that I want to drill holes in anybody's head at all I really don't I don't think we're actually going to do that um, <laughs> it's on the table we might not do it definitely not going to do it I'm not doing it y'all can do that but yeah call your neuroscientist friends and ask them if they're going to drill a hole and have you <laughs> the thing in their head ah. um but I but I do think we're going to have this diminishing divide between 
what machines are doing for us and what we're doing and this more symbiotic relationship, which folds into more things will be automated away for us. More things won't be things that we have to worry about. So we'll have more time for other things, but then we also will be more closely coupled. So there won't be this like world in which like machine learning and all these things are happening on the side and we're off in the field without any technology either. I'm excited for that world to accelerate us getting there. What we need is for more people to get on the Recollect bandwagon, maybe just writers now, but can people just sign up or where do people find you and what's the best way to start using Recollect? Please find us, come talk to us. Um, very friendly. You can go to our website, which is re-collect.ai. You could find us on Twitter, Recollect AI. You can find me, Alice Albrecht on Twitter as well. Right now we're in a private alpha. So we are bringing on people and we have a wait list going. So I encourage you to go to the website and get on the wait list. If you are somebody who really likes building in this space or is really excited about these ideas, I love talking to people that are excited about this space. So please do reach out even, you know, add yourself to the wait list, but also, yeah, I, I love finding other people that can nerd out about this stuff. I just had the pleasure of doing it for about 40 minutes and it's really fun to talk to Alice about this stuff. So I highly recommend that you do that. I'll also put Alice's handle and Recollect's website and all of that in the show notes so that you can go find it. Alice, this was a blast. I'm more excited for the future now than I was before this conversation started. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. 